Welcome to Arise Church, where we exist so that you can experience God. I pray that this message will encourage, inspire, and grow your faith in God. Enjoy the message. I need some audience participation. So this is what I need from you. If you are single in this room, I need you to turn on your light on your phone. And wave it in the air. If you are not single in this room, I need you to stand up next to the person that you're not single with. Whether you've been married for 50 years, five minutes, engaged, boyfriend, girlfriend, stand up with them. If you're a young man who sees this as an opportunity to find that one, go find her real fast. I don't know. Make her turn her flashlight off. I don't see enough flashlights in this room. So if you're married in the room, if you're together with that special someone, just look at them right in the eye, turn around, you're going to put your arms around them a little bit, it's okay. And if you got your flashlight on, you can help be my choir a little bit. Have I told you lately that I love you? Have I told you there's no one else above you? Take away all my sadness Freeze my troubles, that's what you do So look into my eyes And you'll see What you mean to me Search your heart Search your soul No more can tell me it's not worth trying for. Can't tell me it's not worth dying for. You know it's true. Everything I do, I do it for you. Come on, tell her. Cause you are so beautiful to me. Can't you see? <laughs> You're everything I hoped for. You're everything I need. You are so Follow my lead. Oh, I found a girl. She's beautiful and sweet. I never knew you were that someone waiting for me. Cause we were just kids when we fell in love, not knowing what it was. 
and then you can sit down. Good morning, everyone. I hope you enjoyed that. This might be the only time you hear us sing those songs together on stage, but hey, welcome to Arise. We do fun things here. <laughs> you know, Brett and I had the um, pleasure of being celebrating our 21st uh, wedding anniversary last August. Yeah. So we have been doing this a few years. I know we're right behind Pastor Ken and Madonna who are leading the way, but there are so many of you in this place um, that have been married for much longer than we have, and I want to honor you this morning. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for being a godly example of what marriage should look like. Thank you that we get to follow you. We get to look um, at what you're doing and we get to, um, we get to champion you and we want to, we want to be like you when we grow up. Yeah, I think we are built for love songs. In fact, I would say it this way. We are built for love songs because we are built to love. And across the world, love songs are everywhere, everywhere. And um, uh, we love love, whether it's poetry, whether it's songs, whatever it is, we love love. And, and I think um, somebody asked me uh, a couple weeks ago, they said, they said, Pastor, what does it mean that we're made in the image of God? I think there's a lot of reasons or a lot of ideas of what that means. It's not just like one little thing. But one of the things is this, that you are made in the image of God so that you receive love and you give love. And you are designed to do that. God receives our love, our worship to him. And then he bestows, not in then, but he bestows his love upon us. And there's a, there's a nature of his love that is very much a part of you and I. And if you have not experienced love growing up, you're neglected. It becomes an issue. You need love. And that's one of the reasons why I think God loves it. In fact, God loves it so much, just in case anybody's offended that we're doing love songs in church. He loves it so much that there's an entire book of the Bible that is a love song. And it is way more risque than anything we're going to see. It is saucy. Woo! 
You might know it because it's called the Song of Solomon, sometimes called the Song of Songs. But that's one of the ways that we're made in the image of God. Yeah, I know, women, you can relate to this. As little girls, we grew up watching movies like Cinderella and Snow Snow White, right? And you see these uh, love stories. You see the Prince Charming modeled before you, and you think, that's the way I want to be when I grow up. And so we dream about these marriages. We start planning our wedding day from the earliest of ages. I actually was at a a kid's birthday party for for a six-year-old a few weeks ago, and there were little girls there pushing around a stroller, and they had a baby doll in their stroller. They were three years old three years old, mind you. And they were like, where's our daddies? The babies need daddies. And so they were like looking around at the little boys and the little boys are all like this because they want nothing to do with it. It's like little boys are like, I would do anything for love, but I won't do that. Right, right. All little girls is like, uh, you know, I want to love somebody, love somebody like you. All right, so... Y'all better sing along this morning because he is having way too much fun with this. This is an audience participation message this morning. So I need you to participate along with me because the simple fact is it has not always been that way. And nowadays we think like it's always been that way. But if you were to go back to ancient Roman times prior to Christianity, Plato actually proposed the abolition of marriage. Aristotle actually thought that women were not equal equal with men. They were well below. Therefore, they were not even capable of friendship with men. And marriages at that time were really a contractual agreement just to be able to produce offspring that was your own that you would claim. And so it's a whole different thing. In fact, one historian said it this way. He said, falling in love was viewed as a mild form of insanity and could not and should not be the foundation of an enduring marriage prior to Christianity. It's a whole different world that we're in now. Absolutely. So here's something interesting. The love song is by far the most common type of song ever sang. And there are over 100 million love songs that have been sang and recorded. Um, and the most famous one, as we know, I Will Always Love You, it was voted the most, um, it was the number one love song of all time by Whitney Houston. I will always love you. You guys rock. I will not do that. All the other songs we've done this night is quiet. (laughs) You guys rock. Yeah, thank you. So here's a fun fact, though. It was actually written and recorded by Dolly Parton. Oh, Dolly. But man, Whitney Houston, whoo, she can reach those notes. That was amazing. What's what's their favorite love song? Oh, yeah. What what is the favorite love song? Can you guys shout it out to us? Not everybody at once. That song? That's all. Okay, hey, I'll say mine. So my one of my favorites is I Will Be Here by Stephen Curtis Chapman because that's the first song that Pastor... People actually seem like they know that in yay, the service. it's an awesome song. So Pastor Brent actually, uh, we slow danced to that. That was our first slow dance. And he sang it to me at our wedding. He surprised me with it. Yeah, there was a, at our wedding, um, nobody knew it except the sound man, the pastor, uh, my best man and me. We were the only ones that even knew what was going on. And so I had hidden a guitar in like this plant behind us kind of thing um, uh, where the organ was. That's how long we've been married. <laughs> so where the organ was. And so um, at one particular spot, the best man reached back and he grabbed the guitar out. And, and I got down on one knee and I was actually really new at playing guitar at the time and kind of nervous. And, uh, and I remember shaking and, and all that, but I got down on one knee in front of her and I sang those famous first lines. Tomorrow morning, if you wake up and the sun does not appear, I, I will be here. And then it keeps going from there. But yeah, that's the, it's so, also the first song we slid next to. Did you say that? Yeah, I did. Okay. I first, that. Anybody first, else have yeah. a favorite song that you want to say now that you had a minute to think about it? 
Broken, Broken Road. Somebody, somebody said that. First service. Yeah. yeah. Awesome. Hey, another favorite song of mine is actually Pastor Brent wrote it for me. Um, it's called Better Man. And it was just this beautiful song and he put my name in it. He recorded it and everything. Like it was, it was perfect. Yeah. It starts out with a, God must have stole some stars and put them in your eyes. They take my breath away every time I see you smile. You know, it keeps going, but... See, you guys didn't... First service didn't get this, so you yeah. guys just got a treat. <laughs> somewhere out there, it's recorded. Nothing's on YouTube or anything nowadays. Somewhere out there, it's, it's recorded, but yeah. So I Will Always Love, Love You was recently voted the number one love song of all time, like two years ago, last time. Number one love song of all time. Here's the problem with that. It's a breakup song. Have you ever listened to the verses of I will always love you? It's not a love song. It's like, I'm always going to love you because you're leaving, but I'm still going to love you from a distance. It's totally a breakup song, um, which, is, which is just hilarious to me. Ain't no sunshine when she's gone. Now we've come to the end of the road. You're so vain. Probably think the song is about you. It must have been love, but it's over now. I gotta start in the right key, that would be nice. Heard it from a friend who heard it from a friend who heard it from another. You've been messing around. And I'm dying inside, and nobody knows it but me. You've lost that, that love and feeling now it's gone, gone, gone. I can't sing that without hearing Top Gun or seeing Top Gun in my mind. Because here's the simple fact is Dolly Parton's and, and Whitney Houston's I Will Always Love You is a great example of what we see across America because it starts out so good. People think it's a love song, but it's really a breakup song so frequently. In fact, the U.S. has one of the highest divorce rates uh, around the world at just around 50%. Right around 50% of marriages end in divorce in the United States. And you might have heard this before. Pastors frequently say this. They'll say the divorce rate in the church is the same as the world. That's not true at all. We'll come right back to that in a second. But, but one of the things that you need to know about the divorce rate that needs to be said in the church especially is this. Um, so often in our lives, to quote Aerosmith, we don't want to miss a thing. I don't want to close my eyes. I don't want to fall asleep because I'd miss you, baby. And I don't want to miss a thing. We don't want to miss a thing. So we jump in bed. And move in together before it's God-ordained time. And so one of the things that's happening right now is really over the last 15 years, 15 to 20 years, right in that, spasm, that, that, that time space, um, now it's gone from will you marry me to will you move in with me? Now, I could quote a lot of Bible passages at you, but, but most people in this regard don't really care, obviously, what the Bible has to say about it. So I'll just throw this out. Statistically, if you live together before you get married, you are 5% higher, more likely to get divorced. Now, I know it makes total sense. Test drive the car before you buy it. I know that makes sense. I know in our earthly minds, but God has a better plan than that. And unfortunately, it's not talked about enough. And in the church, we got to set the precedence the way it's supposed to be. You get married, then you live together. 
If you live together here, we love you. We're glad you're here. But God does have a way of doing it that's better. And it's not just biblical. You will see it in the statistics. Again, 5% more likely to get divorced if you live together first. And most people that live together don't end up getting married. Most of the time they break up first, which causes all kinds of other harm along the way. Okay, so uh, with that, though, one of the main reasons for divorce is this, that about 40% of marriages are affected by infidelity in some way or another. But I have good news because Christian marriages are significantly lower divorce rate than the rest of the population. Yeah, here's the truth. And I started to allude to this a minute ago. I was getting ahead of myself. But here's the good news. Here's the truth. If you actually do Christian things, you are far less likely to get divorced. So if, if, if you see... Um, the statistics that say, oh, half the church, church has the same numbers as the world has, and 50% of the world is the same number in the church. Well, that only works when you actually have the polling data that just says, check the box for Christian, which is the vast majority of Americans. And so it's not actually showing that you do any Christian things. For instance, if you just attend church regularly, so you don't even have to serve, do anything else. If you just attend church regularly, the divorce rate goes down to 38%. Congratulations. You guys all of you are a step good. ahead of the rest of the world right there. All of you. But check this out. If you actually do what is considered Christian disciplines, right? So you pray, you read your Bible. If you actually do it together, that's even more powerful. So you pray separately, pray together, read your Bible separately, talk about it together, read it together. Uh, if you fast, if you do um, uh, serve in the church, give in the church, all those things that you would call Christian disciplines. Check this out. If you do all those things, the number drops down to one out of 1,500 marriages end in divorce when you're actually following Jesus. And Christian Check marriages, that, that is awesome. Christian marriages should actually be a picture of what um, our relationship to Jesus should be. Christian marriages should show the world. We should be an example to the world of what our relationship with the Lord is. Because um, the Bible constantly talks about the bride, the bride of Christ, right? And we are married to Jesus. And so we have, we have an, uh, an obligation to show the world this is, what, this is what the relationship should look like. Yeah, it should be a healthy relationship that's built on the foundation of Jesus Christ. And any other foundation, there's this whole little thing in the Bible you might have heard of, is sand. And it will be shifting. And when the winds blow, it'll be a lot harder to make it. I'm not saying they don't make it because some people, you know, are married many years without Christ. But it is a rock of the foundation of Jesus Christ in your life that will carry you through the hard times. Yep. So here's some verses. Exodus 20:14. One of the Ten Commandments. The, one of the big ten. You shall not commit adultery. Yep. And then Proverbs 6:32. But a man who commits adultery has no sense. Whoever does so destroys himself. I love this verse because some of the other translations, the New Living Translation, says this: A man who commits adultery is an utter fool. That's right. I love it. He's just an idiot. He's an utter fool. Go, I'm sorry. Go. Hebrews 13, 4. Marriage should be honored by all and the marriage bed kept pure. For God will judge the adulterer and all the sexually immoral. Yeah. Uh, we, we titled this message, um, I'm forever yours, faithfully. Yeah, see, that, that's got to be high on somebody's list, too, of love songs right there. Um, but what we're going to give you are 10 keys to maintaining faithfulness in your marriage um, that I think are really good. Uh, this actually comes from a pre-marriage counseling session that I do with, with people that are getting married. So if you are in this room and I did your pre-marriage counseling, you've probably heard these before. You might have forgotten them all by now, but you've probably heard these before. And I believe they will help you set guardrails in your marriage to prevent uh, from, from infidelity happening. And again, 40% of marriages face that of some sort. And so we want to set up these guardrails. 
rails? That's right. So key number one is never think it couldn't happen to me. Okay, are there any newlyweds or newly, more recently married people in the room? All right, some, some of you, right? So it is important at this stage especially to really safeguard your marriage. Um, so Brett and I are going to be talking about these points this morning, um, and I wanted you to know that... I can tell you, as a newlywed, I never, ever, ever, ever thought I would have eyes for another man other than my husband. You thought, nothing's going to stop us now. Right. Absolutely. And, and I don't. I don't have eyes because I have, learned to, I have learned to safeguard my marriage. You know, we go into this marriage thinking, I'm going to be head over heels this way forever, forever with this man. And I know that men think it too. You're absolutely in love with this person. You want to spend the rest of your life. But many years down the road, children happen, uh, traumas happen, different things happen, and you don't always wake up in love with the person that you married. You want to love them, but you don't always have that ooey-gooey feeling, you know? And so it is a choice. Marriage is a choice. You wake up every day um, committed to this person, and it is a choice to love this man for the rest of my life. It is a choice that I make daily, no matter how I feel. You make that sound so hard. No. Okay. It's not hard. I promise you, it's not hard. It's not. I, I, it's not hard. I just sing to her when I need to. It's so easy to love. It's so easy to love this man. But we have been doing marriage counseling for a long time, and we have counseled people much older than us. And all it takes is one little event in your life to change things. All it takes is for one um, bad attitude in the house to completely change the way a marriage is is going. And so I just want to warn you. Make it a choice to love the gift that God has given you every single day of your marriage. Yeah. Um, when you first get married, you just, you just think you're always, you know, I'll be there for you. These five words I swear to you. When you breathe, I want to be the air for you. Yeah, I don't know that one. I'll be there for you. All right, how about, I'll be your crying shoulder. Right, you, like, like we think that way when we first get married. Everything's going to be amazing all the time. And so if you're not careful, you won't set up the guardrails that will protect you when things aren't as easy. Are you with me? Uh, Ada and I uh, knew a couple that, that seemed to have like this perfect little marriage. Uh, they were high school sweethearts. They were actually close friends with Ada. Uh, high school sweethearts. They get married, have this cute little house, have a couple of kids. Everything seems great until one day she ends up with an STD. And she's saying, where did this come from? And finds out that he's been having affair after affair after affair in their marriage. Why? Because you don't set up guardrails and you think it's always going to be perfect. So what's Proverbs say? 16, 18 says, pride goes before destruction, a haughty spirit before a fall. Yeah, never think it can't happen to me. That's going to set the foundation for the nine. Let's That's go to right. number two. Yeah. Point number two says, stay away from anything that turns you on that is not your spouse. Okay, women, I know our mind automatically goes to something our husband watched on TV, the cheerleader is on the football game or something. But can I tell you that this is such a key thing for women because women, we watch our Hallmark movies, we watch things where the man is so perfect and why can't my husband be like this man? Or we turn on social media and we're like, oh, look what he's doing for his wife. Why can't my man ever do that? You know, and we compare our spouse to these other people, and this is where it starts. When we start comparing and we start thinking that our spouse isn't good enough. 
Yeah, Song of Solomon would say that you should not be awakening love until it so desires. The only person that should be awakening love in your marriage is your spouse. So let me say this again. Uh, stay away from anything that's, that, that turns you on that's not your spouse. That could be pornography. That's a very obvious one. It also could be those romantic novels. Yep. Anything that's turning you on that's not your spouse is not the way God designed it to be. And you need to turn yourself away from those things. Otherwise, before you know it, your spouse is not as attractive as she used to be, as he used to be. Why? Because you're feeding yourself a lie. You're feeding yourself this, right. this, this whole, other, whole other idea. Matthew 5? Matthew 5, 28 says, But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Yeah, and, and gentlemen, we, we talk about this from time to time, but porn is the big thing of our day and age today. You have to stay away from that. If anything that's turning you on that's not your spouse, run away from it. And pornography is not foreplay. I know who I'm talking to. Um, it is something that will kill your marriage. So stay away from that. Um, and so what do you do? Because uh, I'm going to find every one of you in this room at some point. So you can clap with me. I keep a close watch on this heart of mine. I keep my eyes wide open all the time. I keep the ends out for the tie that binds. Because you are mine, I walk the line. Got some Johnny Cash up in there. Yeah. A few of you know who that is. The rest of you are like, I don't know what he's doing right now. That sounds weird. I don't like that. All right, let's go ahead and go to number three. All right, number three, don't be alone with the opposite sex. Now, I know sometimes in our work environments and even in ministry, it's hard not to do this. And so we have put some things in our relationship to really guard um, the sanctity of our marriage. So Brent, if he has to ride alone with one of the other female pastors or something, he calls me ahead of time to make sure it's okay. And Yeah, because uh, it's really not just about being alone with the opposite sex. It's about trust. And what can happen is if you are caught alone with the opposite sex and you haven't told your, your partner, now it can look really bad, right? So I remember one time Ada used to manage a car lot and she needed to drive somebody home after like they bought a car kind of thing and she needed to drive them home because they lived near our house. And she called me and she's like, hey, is that okay uh, you know, that, I, that I take this person home? And I'm like, all right, yeah, that's fine. But, but what if she pulls up into the red light in Plant City? Because in Plant City, everybody knows everybody. <laughs> So what if she pulls up to the red light in Plant City and somebody that knows us looks over and sees Ada with some guy in the car and they're texting me going, hey, your wife is with some dude. What's going on with that, right? Well, all of a sudden it, it takes away the trust. So it's not even just about, you know, being alone with the other person, but that is true because, because you know, sin grows in the shadows. When you're in the darkness, sin wants to grow. You want to bring it to light. So in the moments where you have to be alone with somebody of the opposite sex, make sure that your spouse knows so that it doesn't take away from the trust uh, uh, that's there. Uh, so that you have nothing to hide, right? So you say, uh, we sailed on together, we drifted apart, and here you are by my side. So now I come to you with open arms, nothing to hide. Believe what I say, so here I am. With open arms, hoping you'll see what your love means to me. Open arms. Some of y'all knew that one. Okay. Right. So, so you want to be the person uh, that, that's not creating a lack of trust inside of your marriage. Be open. Right. Share with what's going on. 
Absolutely. Number four. Number four, be careful accepting <laughs> gifts from the opposite sex. So these are little gifts often. This is how the enemy gets his foot in the door. Coffee, lunch from a coworker. But be mindful that the enemy is constantly trying to destroy your marriage however he can. Yeah, this is more frequently now the stereotypes, so it could go either way. But this is more frequently with women that you might work somewhere and suddenly this guy starts bringing you little stuff. And it starts out very innocently. It starts out as a very little thing. And maybe like Ada said, he's bringing you coffee or lunch or some little thing. But before you know it, that's a way of courting. That's a way of, of stealing your heart away. And you got to be so very careful of that. Um, and uh, uh, my mind goes, and, and, and when we're talking about this, it goes to um, David Robinson. Y'all remember David Robinson, the center for the Spurs back in the day, all-star, one of the greatest basketball players of all time, one of the, the greats. David Robinson was known as a, as a Christian and uh, uh, Sports Illustrated did an article on him a number of years ago. They called it St. David. And they were asking him about some of the unusual things he does. Like, for instance, when timeouts would happen and the cheerleaders are on the court, like, you know, shaking their stuff, um, uh, David Robinson would oftentimes, like, stare at the floor. Like, he would purposely, like, put his head at the floor. And there's also a lot of stories where he would be, like, going in and out of the tunnel or, or different people would be trying to connect with him. And, and sometimes these ladies would be trying to give him a gift or trying to do something like that. And sometimes they wanted to take him privately and talk to him, which oftentimes meant more than talking with him and all this kind of stuff. And he would say no. And, and the interviewer asked David Robinson this question. They said, aren't you concerned with offending these ladies because you're, you're just saying no? of their trust and their faith in you. Number five. Number five, be careful accepting compliments from the other sex. So be on guard. Like I just said, the enemy is constantly looking for a way into your marriage. And sometimes when you feel depleted or you feel like you're not loved, that's when, that's when the enemy will send these people to com- compliment you. Yeah, if, if, the, if the gifts was more for women, which happens both ways, but if that was more for women, this is a little bit more for men. Not that it doesn't happen the other way. Be careful of that coworker, that person you're around, that lady that just starts giving you compliments. Because, guys, most of us are suckers for compliments. Like, like, we're just big dogs. If you give us words of affirmation and pet us every once in a while, we'll do anything you ask us to do. I can go to your mind what that means. But, um, and so this, this words of affirmation, so all of a sudden this, this you know, woman is telling you how great you are, these kind things. So you just got to be very, very cautious of that. Um, in my mind, I can't prove this in the Bible, but in my mind, this is how I see the Samson and Delilah story playing out. It's like, like Samson's doing his thing, and Delilah starts sneaking in, and she's like, oh, Samson, you're so strong. You're such a good man. Oh, man, if, I, if you were my man, I would treat you different than those other women are treating you. You know what I'm saying? And, and sometimes I think that's the way it starts to play out sometimes. And, and women, it could go either way, but so frequently, you just got to be very cautious with compliments. And especially in the workplace, man, it can be really a fine line because there's a difference between a well done, which is great, to where it starts to go over that line. And, and nobody knows where that line is exactly except you. And so just be very, very, very cautious of that. Why? Because, uh, you know, the wisdom of poison once said, every rose has its thorns. <laughs> All right. Point number six. If you feel someone is coming on to you, tell your spouse. 
All right. So many years ago, we were on a church trip, and um, there was this specific. He would be there, um, and I just got these really bad vibes from him. You know these vibes, people. And so I actually told Brent, and Brent was very—he was very protective of me. Now he didn't beat the guy up, so don't worry. He didn't show his muscle. He could just have left him in the place we were at the mission stress. Just left him. There. <laughs> No, I think you do have to be very cautious of this because um, once again, we get into the trust thing. So years ago, Ada was in the tag office all the time. Like I said, she was managing a car lot. And I don't know what it is about the tag office, but people hit on each other in the tag office. It's weird. I don't understand it. Some people go to the club. Some people go to the tag office. They have day, to wait whatever. three hours in line. And they're like, well, this seems like a great place to pick up somebody. And so there were a number of times that Ada would come you know, home and she'd be like, hey, this guy was hitting on me in the tag office. Um, and you know what that does? Once again, Plant City, small town. Nope. I saw your wife talking to this dude, and it was kind of awkward and da-da-da. Why? Because she's telling me, and it's building trust between us. Now, I always say this in pre-marriage counseling. And gentlemen, I'm about to give you a great spot to say amen. I'm setting you up. This is a bump. You're about to spike. You ready? <laughs> One of the reasons you married her is because she's beautiful. Because she's beautiful. Because she's beautiful, uh, move in from time to time. You have to trust her to be that first line of defense. You cannot go beat every guy, or you will be in jail most of your life. And I always say this because here's the truth: if if the wife thinks that the husband was going to go beat the guy up, or vice versa, right? Because some of y'all women, y'all got some Latina in you, and you're like, I will take that woman out. <laughs> but if you think the person's going to overreact, tell them because you're scared of them overreacting. Now, there are moments for sure, like if things are going too far, you have to step in. And, and, and you know, I'm not saying against that. I'm just saying when little things happen, you know, you don't have to go in all guns blazing. That's actually a negative thing uh, that goes on. So be careful. Uh, be careful if you feel like somebody is, is coming on to you, you know, watch out for each other. I got you, babe. I got you. Yeah. That's okay. really sweet. All right. Point number seven. If there's someone you don't feel comfortable being around your spouse, let them know. All right. Husbands, I've heard many of you say this, that your, that your wife, not your husband, your wife sounds a lot like the Holy Spirit, right? Now, if your wife comes to you and Do warns, husbands say that? Yes. You I hear wives say that. We do sound like Holy Spirit. You do. I'm not <laughs> saying you don't. Just... <laughs> um, but if, if your wife comes to you, husbands, and says to you, you know, you might want to watch out for this, this woman. I just see the way that she's standing around you. I see the way that she's talking to you. Please do not dismiss what she's saying. She's not just being a jealous woman. She's trying to warn you that this woman is trying to invade your, the sanctity of your marriage. Yeah, women have like a sixth sense, man. It's weird. I don't get it. I'm a guy. Most of us, us guys, we're oblivious. Like, we're just lost. We're like a ghost in the fog, man. We are lost. And there's a number of times that my wife has come and she's like, you need to be careful around this person. Don't be alone with this person. Be cautious of this person. And I'll be honest, as a dude, I'm just like, that's the dumbest thing ever. What are you talking about? What? But this is where it's about trusting your wife and building trust between you. Listen, she might be crazy about it, but I have to trust her. 
I have to do everything I can to build trust between us and listen to her and respond accordingly. And so, guys, we can be oblivious, but this is a moment to trust your wife and, and to lean into her. Why? Because there's always a Jolene, 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 Jolene. Again, I'm like separating age groups in this room. But, yeah. All right, point number eight, be intimate spiritually and emotionally. Have any of you in this room read the five love languages? All right, so learn your spouse's love language. This is so important because I could be telling him all day long I love him, but unless he feels it, then he's not going to realize that I love him. The same goes for your wife. Learn how she feels loved, whether it's gifts, whether, you know, whatever it is, service, acts of service is mine. If he washes the dishes for me, I'm like, you are the most amazing husband in the world. You are the best. So make make sure that your spouse knows and feels like they are loved Um, because again the enemy is constantly trying to get in you know I was thinking um, as we were as we were in worship and we were um, there was a moment in worship where um, Pastor Jason wasn't singing a song on stage and we were just singing our own love songs Um, you know it's so important that as spouses, you learn to say affirming words. This is something Brent has tried to teach me over the years. You know, that not that I need to say I love him, but um, more ways to say I love you. And so as we were in worship this morning, I just began to tell the Lord how I loved him, why I loved him. It wasn't about singing the song that was on stage, but it was just about finding your own words to say. And that's the same thing in a marriage. You find your own many, many reasons that you love that person. And it's so important to say it to them. Yeah, that's so good. We need to be intimate spiritually and emotionally. Obviously, time to guys, you were usually talking about sex with that, but with emotionally, you need to know your spouse. Uh, believe it or not, Aid and I are both um, introverts. And so when we leave church settings, usually we don't want to talk to anybody because all of our words are gone. And so we sit on the couch and we hold hands. Um, and, and there's an intimacy that happens through that, seriously. And oftentimes through that process, we'll start little conversations that go here or there that emotionally are, are, are intimate between us. That, that, that just means you're getting to know each other in the depths of who you are. Um, and spiritually, the same thing, that, that, that we're spiritually aligned, that there's a spiritual intimacy uh, between us um, at the same time. You know, um, affairs happen because a need is unmet. When you're not meeting the need of your spouse, oftentimes somebody else is trying to meet that need. And you just gotta be so, so cautious of that. And I was thinking, I, I didn't do this in any other service, so can I sing one more song? Um, okay. This is my favorite song about this. This is one of my favorite love songs of all time. It's amazing how you can speak right to my heart. Y'all can sing along if you know it. Without saying a word, you can light up the dark. Try as I may, I could never explain what what I hear when you don't say a thing. The smile on your face lets me know that you need me. There's a truth in your eyes saying you'll never leave me. A touch of your hand says you'll catch me if ever I fall. You say it best. 
when you say nothing at all. Isn't that a beautiful love song? I always say it's either a beautiful love song or the most rude song ever, because it's like, you say it best when you just shut up. Just be quiet. Stop talking. No, I'm just teasing. No, but that song just really expresses that emotional intimacy that you're close even when you're not talking. That's a beautiful thing. All right, point number nine. If you start to feel an emotional or physical attraction to someone else, leave. Immediately leave. So if you have ever been betrayed in this room, which all of us can say that we've been betrayed, right? By friends, by relatives, whatever. If you know that feeling of betrayal, remember that because that's exactly what your spouse would feel if they were betrayed by you, if if you were unfaithful to them. I've had to tell several people this, and I know it's so it's so true, but if you can imagine... If you cheated on your spouse, what it would do to their heart and how it would crush them, how it would crush your relationship with with the father, how that would make the father feel if you cheated on the gift that they gave you, that he gave you, and how it would affect your children for the rest of their lives if you were unfaithful to their father or mother. And then not only that, but the the, um, siblings, the, um, you know, the parents, it would affect everyone for such a long time if you were unfaithful to your spouse. Yeah, and here's the other side of it, especially if you're a newlywed or if you're dating, like like you oftentimes think, oh, I'm just gonna love this person forever and I'm never gonna be attracted to somebody else. Here's the truth, there will be moments in your life that you're attracted to somebody else. You cannot feed that, you cannot stay in that environment, you have to run from that. And that's a real talk right here uh, because they might be meeting a need that you have a legitimate need that maybe it's, it's whatever, but, but they're meeting that need. And you got to be so cautious because it'll feel good that they're meeting the need. And you'll think, oh, the grass is, listen, if the grass is greener on the other side, it's probably over the septic tank. <laughs> and so you want to, you want to magnify the consequences of sin, not minimize. And that's what people do in that situation. They think, oh, I can get away with it. No, you're never going to get away with it because it's going to destroy you if nobody else. And so we got to be so, so very, very cautious. Um, I know it's a different situation, um, but, but in the story of Joseph and Potiphar's wife, I mean, he wasn't trying to come on to her, but she was to him. And what did Joseph do? He ran. Listen, I can't emphasize this enough. Run out of those moments and those situations. Do not feed them because what you feed grows. And if it grows long enough, it'll start to control you. And so don't feed it. Uh, just look at it and be like, I can't touch this. Do, 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 do. That's not a love song though. Um, uh, but there is one that, that paints the picture pretty well. And it's, um, so don't you draw the queen of diamonds, boy. She'll beat you if she's able You know the queen of hearts is always your best bet. Now it seems to me some fine things have been laid upon your table, but you only want the one that you can't get. Desperado. Ada loves the next line. Why don't you come to your senses? Because the Bible said you're an utter fool. Okay, that's what the Bible said. Come to your senses. Let's move. All right, this next point is everybody, all the guys' favorite. Um, yeah, next point, number 10. Do not deny sex for long periods. All right, husbands and wives, do not use the lack of sex to control or manipulate your spouse. This is very evil. This is as witchcraft. Manipulation is as witchcraft, so do not use this. If you are in a conflict, learn how to fight fair, but do not use things um, to, do not use sex to to, um, control them, to manipulate the situation. Yeah, you don't want to do that at all. 
And, and you have really good footing for this because the Bible is actually very clear throughout. Sex is a good thing within the marriage confines that God designed it to be. Statistically, married people have better sex than everybody who's running around on sex in the city. I know this is too real for some of y'all to handle, but this is real talk right now. Um, it actually is true. And I know all of the media and everything else paints a different picture. The way God designed it, believe it or not, is actually the best way. And, um, uh, uh, and so the Bible is very clear from cover to cover that God designed it. And that it's a good thing when it's done God's way. In fact, this is all the guys, and I'm not stereotyping, but frequently it's the guy's favorite verse next to John three sixteen. All right. First Corinthians 7, 5, do not deprive each other except perhaps by mutual consent and for a time so that you may devote yourselves in prayer, then come together again so that Satan will not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. Yeah, when I get that feeling. Okay, let's not go there. Let's get it on. <laughs> I think Ken sang last week, I'll make love to you. And go. Um, but seriously, um, there may be different health reasons or some things that are circumstances in that age, different things. But I believe that Christians should have a great sex life. And I know that's awkward for some of you to hear, uh, but it's biblical and it's right. I can tell you this. I have counseled dozens and dozens of couples going through marital problems over the years. I, have, I don't believe I have ever coupled a cu- I don't believe I've ever counseled a couple that are still in an active sex life that are going through a hard time. There's something about it that pulls you together. Like Ada said, when you're fighting or whatever, there's something about it that's special. Now I'm going to say this. I didn't say this in the last service uh, because it's just an awkward thing, but I'm just going to be real with you. Uh, the way the human body is designed with the guys in particular, uh, the human body is designed that that needs to be a release. Stereotypically could it be based on uh, age and things could change it, but roughly every three days. And what that means is if it's not, if, if there's not a release going on, things become more attractive. It doesn't make it okay for him to run to somebody else or something else, but it does become more attractive than it needs to be. And so just be very cautious of that. If you're a married couple, like sit down and talk about it. I know that's weird, but sit down and talk about it because wives, you don't want to allow pornography to be more attractive than it should be. Now, again, I'm not saying it's okay, no matter what for him to go that direction, but you can actually help by, by uh, just having a, a, a good love uh, life. Is that awkward or what? Good love life. <laughs> All right. Well, everybody just, you know, smile at me or something. Everybody's looking away. All the little kids in the room are like, this is just weird. Listen, they're hearing it from everywhere else. They need to hear Come it in church. Come on. In the yes. right way. From cover to cover, God wants you to have a great marriage. And he wants you to have great relationships. We will talk about singleness now. It's either next week or the week after. And it's going to be really good about the blessing of singleness. Because I know there's some singles up in here, right? And so that's going to be really good too. So it's not just marriage. But if you ever plan to be married, these are, married, these are really good guideposts um, to put up. Because God wants us to have a great marriage. I, I don't want you to end up in our counseling center. I'm glad we're starting it. I don't really want you there. Are you with me? And I think God designed it a different way. You know, um, this is Valentine's Day weekend. And I mentioned uh, a few moments ago that, that before Christianity, marriage was looked at very differently. You only married so that you could procreate with somebody that you, that you accepted as your offspring. 
Typically, most guys had lots of girlfriends and lots of extra kids out there, but only the few that carried on his name and his lineage. And that's really the only reason you married. You didn't, you didn't marry for, for love. You certainly didn't marry for friendship. You married to procreate and pass off your generation. Uh, and that's the way it was looked at. And then Christianity came in. And in uh, the year, I think it was 175, nobody knows for sure, but roughly 175, this Christian man is born who becomes a devout follower of Jesus and he starts marrying people and performing marriages. And when he would perform marriages, he would perform them in the name of Jesus, not the name of the emperor. This young church leader, his name was Valentine. And he would perform these marriages, have the audacity to say, no, marriage needs to be different than the way you've always heard it done. It doesn't need to be just a contract so you can pass off lineage and pass down your name so that you can pass down your inheritance. No, love should be something that's involved in this. Love should be something beautiful. Why? Because God loved us and we love him. And in your marriage should be a demonstration of the same way that God died to himself. Jesus died to himself and, 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 and lived for you. We do the same thing. We die to ourselves and live for our spouse. And he had the audacity of that. And so he started marrying these young couples in the name of Jesus Christ. That was against the law at the time. And the authorities got uh, word of that and they were very upset. And they eventually killed him for it. You know what day they killed him? February 14th. That's why we celebrate Valentine's Day. It's different than maybe what some of you have heard. And and, and I just want to emphasize this right here, that the secret to a happy marriage is crucifying yourself and living for them. Dying to yourself and living for them. I oftentimes say it this way, the secret to a happy marriage is meeting a need that you don't have. That's why your spouse is so weird. They have needs that you don't even understand. You will probably never understand them, but it's your responsibility to meet them. And if you can meet the need that you don't have, you'll always have a successful marriage. I started out by sharing these different stats. We have got to be a church that puts Jesus Christ as the center bedrock, the foundation of our marriages if we want to have a healthy marriage. It's not just a contract. It's not just a procreation. It's not a pagan way of the Romans. It is a way of St. Valentine. It is loving your spouse the way Jesus loved you. And if you do that, you're going to be fine. You're going to be fine. But put these principles into effect because I don't want to have anybody sitting in my office because you've been unfaithful to one another. I want to have you as the example to this community of what true love really looks like, of what a great marriage really should be. And I believe that we can do that. Are you with me? Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this podcast, would you consider subscribing and sharing this on all your social platforms? If you are moved by the message and would love to share your testimony, please email it to amen at myariseChurch.com. I pray you leave here feeling encouraged. See you next time.